Praise God. Uh, let's open in prayer. Father, we come before you as your children, seeking you. Jesus, you said, seek and you will find. So Lord, may we find you. May we find the treasures of you. And may we find your fruit. Give us ears to hear and hearts to listen. And give me the words to speak, God. I don't have anything in me that can do anything for anyone. But it's the spirit of the Most High, God. It is your anointing, it is your grace that carries us forward. And so, God, I ask that you magnify your name today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, before we get started, last week, right, we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Brian spoke on uh, the, the narrative of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit uh, was with uh, people in particular times and places and, and partic- for, for particular periods in the Old Testament. And yet in the New Testament, we have the revelation at Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out on all flesh as prophesied by Joel and as prophesied by Jeremiah that God would give us a new heart and new minds by His Spirit. So, as we move into Pentecost next week, and we're, we're, we'll talk about the gifts of the Spirit, this week I want to, uh, or we want to, relay to you the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Uh, one, one of the first verses that came to my mind about this is a verse that's near and dear to my heart, and it's the psalmist who says, open wide your mouth. It's the Lord speaking through the psalmist saying, open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. It's very pertinent that we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit and the relationship with opening wide your mouth and being filled with this fruit, right? But do you even just come to church? Do you come to God's presence hungry? Maybe not even church, your prayer room. When you open the Scripture, do you open your mouth wide? Are you opening your heart wide so that God would fill it? God's promise is to fill open mouths, right? And so that's part of faith. Part of faith is making that initiation, taking that perspective of, God, I know that you want to feed me. I know that you want to give me something because I can't live without you. I can't live apart from you. And so this is the very work of the Holy Spirit. We look at the tragedies in the world, uh, the tragedies even of this week, and, and what can we say? Words don't, can't even put together the beginning of the mess. And yet the work of the Holy Spirit is this, John says in 1 John that for this purpose Christ Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. To destroy the works of the devil. And so it is, it is behoove of us to bear fruit in this day, day and age because it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit which sanctifies us. Which The word sanctify, it's a fancy word, it just means set apart. Set apart for God's purposes. And whether it's you or I, each of us have a a bit more to go in in being set apart for God. There's areas in our life that aren't quite set apart. There's areas in our life that they're not completely devoted to the Lord. And yet we seek to have a heart like Caleb in the Old Testament, who was one of two people out of millions, him, Caleb, and Joshua, who got to enter into the promised land. Caleb and Joshua entered into the promised land, and it says that Caleb had a whole heart towards the Lord. 
His heart was whole towards the Lord. In fact, his name, Caleb, it comes from the Hebrew, and Kalev, it's, um, it's a combination of all and heart. Kalev, all heart. Kalev, lev is where we get the English version of, of love. At least uh, that's what scholars think. And so this whole heart, is all your heart in Christ, right? Is all your heart really there? That's the question. That's the, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is going to transform this generation, transform our day and age. Because Jesus Christ, <laughs> as much as he died to get us into heaven, if that's all that your salvation means, then I'm afraid you might not even be saved, dare I say. Because Jesus didn't just die to get us into heaven, he died to get heaven into you. He died to build his kingdom inside of you to start the work of redemption inside of us. And that is through dying to the old self and bearing fruit in the new life. But the only way to bear fruit is that we eat of God's fruit, that we eat of him, that we take and sup with him. That's why one of the most sacred sacraments in the Christian realm is Eucharist, communion, where we take and eat the body of Christ, where we're taking him in, incorporating him into our body, very much so what the Spirit is at work in us today doing. That is why we preach and teach the Word of God, because it waters us, it, it, it causes us to flourish when we have an open heart to God's Word. So let us look into the Scripture today in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. If you have your Bibles with you, um, go ahead and open them up. If they're on your phone, go ahead and do that. Although I don't recommend it because that's not an area I'm set apart in. I'll be on my Twitter. I'll be on my Instagram. I can't do it on my phone. That's just me, though. That's my shortcoming, okay? Maybe not for you. So the Scripture says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, the flesh is a, a, just a term for our sinful nature that is within our bodies. The word there, the flesh, is not just simply talking about this. No, God is actually redeeming this. The, the, the word for flesh is sarx in the Greek. It's different from the body, which is soma in the Greek, right? So it's not talking about the physical realm per, per se. Paul is talking about something deep in our nature that inclines us to sin. I... <laughs> I only have to be a father but a few uh, years to see this even in my, um, amongst my own children where just like all of us when we grew up, you, you, so my son, he's, he's, he he's picks up the one out of hundreds of toys that my daughter has and it's like she just, she just heard the sound, she knew and she turned and said, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why did she need that toy out of all the others? There's something deep in us, covetousness, right? That we, we want, we want more than what we need. And, and, and by the time we were in middle school, high school, we already had our college degrees in anger. We already had our bachelor degree in greed, in pride, in self-seeking. Why? Because nobody had to teach us these things. Nobody has to teach a child how to have a tantrum. Nobody has to teach us how to sin. It's in the very nature of humanity. And that is why Jesus Christ did not just simply come to make bad men good, but he came to make dead men alive. He came to raise the dead. 
And not just simply so that when we die, we're resurrected. That's part of the package deal. But it's also in this bearing fruit, this new life that comes in us through the life of Christ in us. The life of Christ in us. So let's continue. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh if you walk by the Spirit. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries and dissensions and divisions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Notice there's about 15 or so terms here. And he says, he continues with things like these. He's like, this is just a, a, a kind of a list here, but it's not, the, it's, it's not the full thing, right? The works of the flesh, are, are there's multiple of them. Um, and that is why he, he parallels it with when we go to that, but the fruit of the Spirit. I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but the fruit of the Spirit is singular, Right? The fruit of the Spirit is singular, whereas the works of the flesh, they're multiple. Why? Because the works of the flesh have no unity. They have no unity about them. They don't build things together. They cause division. Let me ask you, think about it. When you enter into a space, whether on a good day or on a bad day, usually, hopefully on a good day, what fruit do you bring to others? Does your fruit poison others? Or does your fruit feed people? And, and, and when you're in a circumstance of pressure, when you're squeezed, what happens to you? Think about it like this. If you squeeze a grape, you get grape juice. You squeeze a lemon, you get lemon juice. When you squeeze a Christian, you ought to get Christ. You ought to get Christ. So for me, when I, when I have my moments of, of I'm living in my flesh and I'm not abiding by the Spirit, I have to acknowledge that and call out to God and ask for help. But I also recognize that this thing is deeply in me, and I need Christ to take it out of me. I need new life. And so Jesus gives a similar, in that list of, of, of evident flesh works, Jesus gives a similar list in that when he says in Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 through 19, it's not going to be on the slide, but just here along. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. What comes from the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles a person. This is what makes them all dirty, what comes out of the heart. For out of the heart comes what? Evil thoughts, similar to what Paul's saying here when he says impurity or sensuality. Uh, out of the heart comes murder, Jesus says, similar to what Paul calls fits of anger. Out of the heart, Jesus says, comes adultery and sexual immorality, theft. False witness, slander, these are what defile a person. It's out of the heart. And so we see here that we have a heart issue. We have a heart issue, and that is why the very work of the Holy Spirit is to give us a new heart. And then when we have a new heart, to keep our heart pure, to, to keep our heart softened, to keep our heart listening to God. You remember when the, when the disciples, they... 
were walking along the road to Emmaus after the resurrection and Jesus comes along and they don't recognize him and they don't believe in necessarily what the scriptures have already prophesied would happen in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And what Jesus prophesied would happen for himself. And what, do they, what does he say to them? He says, oh, you slow of heart to believe. Slow of heart. So it's a heart condition. It's a heart condition that God is after to transform. And so we continue on. Things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of this... Let me stop there. He says those, those who do such things... Let, let me free someone from maybe some condemnation you might be feeling. Uh, because we've all partaken in these, right? But the reality is, are you practicing them? Or are you practicing righteousness? First John chapter 3 covers this where he says, the one who practices sin is of the devil. You're not born again. You're of this world. You're of the fallen nature. You don't have a new nature. And you need the redemption of Christ. But the one who practices this is righteousness. You make a practice of it. That, look, I used to get condemned early on in my Christian walk and think that because I had a fit of anger, because I had a rivalry, a dissension, something going on in my flesh, I thought I was not saved anymore. I thought I wasn't saved, but that's part of wrestling out your salvation. What Paul talks about, work out your salvation in fear and trembling in Philippians chapter 2. To work out yourself. So you got, Lord, am I, I want to make sure I'm saved. I don't want to make sure I'm just, my, I have a confession that doesn't follow with submission. If your confession of Christ doesn't follow with the submission of your heart, then you are absolutely, I, I don't have a problem with saying you're not saved. You're sub, your heart has to be submitted. Your heart has to be renewed. That is why one of the most famous passages, Roman 10 for salvation, that is used all the time for altar calls and things of the like. Whoever believes, who, excuse me, whoever confesses with his mouth, right, that Jesus is Lord and believes what? With his heart. Believes with his heart that God raised him from the dead shall be saved. Shall be saved. So it's, it's, it's not just a mouth thing. It's a heart thing. In fact, in the Matthew 15 verse that I just was quoting earlier on in that chapter, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees and he says to them, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You're giving me lip service. And today in the American church, in the Western church, we've got to stop with the lip service. Every time I'm in worship, I'm, I, I make, I'm like, Lord, I don't want to just sing these words. I want to make sure my heart's really in this. I remember for my first like two years of being saved, I didn't sing. I didn't sing because I was like, Lord, I don't want to be condemned. This isn't in my heart. I'm not redeemed yet. For those of you who don't know, I was saved at like 20, so I had a lot of baggage, you know? And I was coming to the Lord with that baggage. He was working on that baggage. But God was unpacking at the same time. And so <laughs> it is a heart transformation God is after. And, and, and now we can see what Paul is getting at when he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Even as you go through this list, many theologians think that, would say that because the fruit of the Spirit purposefully, Paul is using a singular uh, noun for the fruit. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It's singular, so it's, they're unified. There's a unity in them. There's a unity in Christ. And so, so a lot of scholars think that this, this fruit is actually founded and grounded on love because love is the first in the list. 
And not only that, but there's other scriptures that support that, whether it's God is love or whether it's 1 Corinthians 13 that talks about uh, the, even the gifts will pass away. The gifts will pass away that God has given, like the gifts of prophecy, the gift of tongues, the gift of all these gifts. They're meant to edify and build up the church for now. But it's faith, hope, and love that will abide. And the greatest of these, Paul says, is what? Love. So love is the very foundation of these. And you can see that, in fact, in uh, John 15, 9 through 11, we, we can start breaking down some of these fruit, right? This, cause the, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, pa- oh my goodness, I'm getting, ooh, this is juicy. I'm just, <laughs> I, I just love reading God's Word. I love looking at God's Word. It's filling, right? And so I'm just, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. In John 15, Jesus talks about abide in my love. Abide in my love so that you would bear much fruit. Same type of thing going on, right? Bearing fruit in this Holy Spirit. We have to abide in Christ's love. And not just loving him and our love for him. That's important. Absolutely. Holy. We should be fully devoted to our love for him. But we also must (laughs) truly be embraced in his love. Awakened to his love. It's not like we're striving for God to love me more. No, I'm striving to understand how much you already love me through the cross. And thereafter, through the resurrection, Jesus is alive and yet he died while we were yet sinners. While we had our back turned to God. While we were doing things adamantly against God in our heart. Jesus Christ said, I want that one. That one who's sinning. I want that one. Not the one who was righteous and getting it all together. And so that's what it gives me encouragement when even though I might fall and stumble in a work of my flesh, the, the, the Bible says, number one, Proverbs, the righteous man falls seven times but gets back up. Seven times but gets back up. So you might stumble, you might fall, but you get back up. And if God loved me while I was yet a sinner, as Romans 5 says, then he absolutely loves me when I'm seeking and I'm trying my best. So again, this is to relieve what is not from God, which is the spirit of condemnation. There is no condemnation, Paul says, for those who are what? In Christ. So are we in Christ, right? This is the heart of the fruit. It's, are we really rooted? We're going to talk about the root in just a bit. And so this, this love that Jesus talks about abiding in, we see that in John 15, um, in just the whole chapter of John 15 and John 14, that both joy and peace come up. Joy and peace come up. And he talks about how if, you don't, if you're not abiding in my love, for those of you who take notes, I'll say it, John 15, 9 through 11, for uh, joy. For if you're not abiding in my love, if you're not abiding in my love, then you're not going to encompass the joy that I have for you. I'm paraphrasing, but that's in essence what he gets at in those verses. So, you can, so in, in other words, I can, I, I can summarize it like this. None of these characteristics of the fruit come without a love for God, without a love from God. It's, it's a two-way street. We're receiving God's love, but we don't just say, okay, I checked the box off. Thanks, Jesus. You paid the price. I'll see you at heaven. No, I'll see you now. I'll see you now. I'm, I want to know you more. That's what God is after, a hungry heart, a hungry heart, a hungry generation. And so with peace, he talks about my peace I give to you, my peace I leave to you, not as the world gives do I give. God's peace is not an absence of conflict, but a presence of his spirit. And he talks about he'll come and make his home within you. Another way to say, I'm going to give you my spirit who's going to house himself in you. 
and I won't leave you as orphans. You won't be fatherless because the Father's Spirit is in you. And he says, and this is how I will manifest myself to you. And it's in that you love me. You read the preceding verses of that, John 15, or excuse me, 14, verses 23 through 27. We're not going to go to them, but again, if you're taking notes. Um, you don't get no peace. There's no peace. You don't get the peace in the presence of the Holy Spirit without a love for Jesus. He makes that clear. And patience and kindness, we know that these don't come without love. The, the first time that love is really described in, such, in a systematic way, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 4, that love is what? Patient. Love is patient. That's the first thing love is, patient. The Greek word is macrothumia. It, thumia is where we get the word in our English for heat, like thermodynamics and stuff like that, thumia. And macro is for long. Macrothumia, patience. I like the way the King James Version translates it more literally. Long suffering. Long suffering. That's literally what it means. Long heat. Long heat. You're, you, you might have anger, but whew, all right. take a breath. That's why in the, in the Old Testament, it talks about God is slow to what? Anger, slow to anger. And it, the, the literal Hebrew is he has a long nose. He has a long nose because Hebrews didn't think so abstractly. They thought more picture in, in pictures and in, in, uh, described things like that. And so, um, and in the senses. And so, the, you know, think about when you get angry. What happens? Your nose flares up. Your, your nose heats up. You heat up. You get impassioned. And it says God is slow to anger. He's got a really long nose. You know, he's Pinocchio without the lies. Um, and so uh, both patience and kindness come up in the verb form in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, and, and again, I could, man, I don't have time. I could go through all these different fruits and, and talk about them, but all of them come from God's love. All of them come from God's love. For, for those of you who, who like to take notes, I'll just run through it because if I... If I read the scriptures, I stick on the scriptures. That's my, my, I have a problem. I, I, I'm like, God, you didn't say read your word. You said meditate on your word. Amen? Look, so, <laughs> no, I, I, and top of my memory, I don't recall a place where the scripture commands you to read it. But I recall several places where he commands Joshua, where the psalmist in Psalm 1 commands meditate on it. Part of our problem as Christians is we don't meditate on God's word. We read it like a newspaper. We read it like a social media post. We read it because we're trying to get through some type of uh, uh, maybe a legalistic thing of, oh, I got to just finish my thing today. I got to do that thing today. I got to do the upkeep. I, look, I'm, I'm talking for my own self. <laughs> I'm guilty too. And I'm like, God, God's constantly training my heart to say, God, I want to meditate on your word. I want to really saturate myself in your word. Now, we're not talking about this meditation, some um, a pagan type of understanding of meditation where you're trying to make your mind absent and somehow the universe is going to enter you. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about, the word for meditate, another picture to get you to think about it is like a merry-go-round where passengers are coming on and coming off. What do you, everybody meditates. It's not, you don't have to have some type of super uh, spiritual training to meditate. Everybody has passengers coming on and off their merry-go-round of their mind. What things are you meditating on? What passengers stay on the longest? Huh? What passengers stay on the shortest? 
Do we invite the Holy Spirit to stay on and stay present with us? That, that's a parallel of, of what meditate really means. If you look at the etymology of it, it talks about it comes from revolving and where you're allowing things to revolve in your mind, revolve in your mind. So allow the Word of God to saturate your mind. So uh, the goodness of God, Nehemiah chapter 9 verse uh, 25 uh, talks about that it's God's goodness, His great goodness that brought the Israelites into the promised land. Yet, even there, they weren't satisfied, it talks about. Faithfulness, um, that is the noun, just the, the noun for, for faith. Ephesians 2, verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. So look, we're, when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, oftentimes we read these verses and, and we're like, I gotta produce these, I gotta produce these, I gotta, man, I gotta just focus on these, I gotta, I gotta concentrate on these. It's part of it. That's part of it, but if you're, that's like 1%, the 99% of the effort is coming from God and you eating of his fruit. In other words, why? Because faith, where does it come from? It doesn't, it says the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. The literal word there is, is King James Version translated, translates it as faith. It's the same word as faith. It's the same word as what, of what we encompass to be saved, to have faith in God, to have a persuasion a divine persuasion given from God that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he's risen from the dead and we follow after him, right? And so this, um, this faith of ours does not come from our own working and doing. It comes from God first. And that's how we bear forth that fruit. That's how we abide in his love. Gentleness, it's another word for meekness, humility. It's, it's translated uh, both th- all three ways throughout the scripture, meekness, humility, or gentleness, um, and it comes up, interestingly enough, in, as an adjective in Matthew eleven twenty nine, where Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, uh, I am gentle and lowly of heart. I am gentle and lowly of heart. And you will find rest for your souls. And uh, then self-control. Uh, this is a great one. It's, in the Greek, it's enkratia. Enkratia. Kratia is where we get like democracy from, right? Uh, democracy is a rule of the people. The word for rule is kratia, rule. And en, that's where we get in from in the English. In or within. Rule within. Enkratia. Self-control is ruling within, having dominion within. Who do you think gives you dominion within, right? The Holy Spirit's work is to, do, to, to be Lord and Savior of your life through Jesus Christ in our hearts. To be the one who is in charge of our lives. So that's a synopsis of all those different characteristics of the fruit. And even these characteristics, they're not exhaustive. It's not an exhaustive list. Some people get caught up on the nine. And, but if you look elsewhere, these words appear on other Pauline uh, and, and some of Peter's lists that they make of the um, of these different characteristics. Uh, that is why in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9, we read, the fruit, of the, uh, the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true. It's found in all that is good, right, and true. And so the fruit of the Spirit, another way to say that is the fruit of light. And yet again, another way to say it is the fruit of righteousness. Uh, Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
It's a great passage to meditate on. He's basically getting at, I want you to have love, but not this sloppy agape, not this sloppy kind of love that says anything goes, that says, uh, you, you know, we just, like, <laughs> oh my goodness. In our culture today, we, we have such a, a sorry definition of love, such a sloppy definition of love that anything goes, just it's all about our feelings. But the scripture here says that your love would abound more and more. You don't just have love and it's a feeling and woohoo, it's just, that's it. No, that it comes, you grow in love more and more with knowledge and all discernment. With knowledge and all discernment. That's part of the problem in our generation. We don't have knowledge and discernment in our so-called love. So that when we have this knowledge and discernment in love, so that, with, with the result that, in other words, you may approve what is excellent. You need a proper understanding of love encompassed in you in order to approve what is excellent, in order to be trained in righteousness, in order to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, in order to grow in, another way to say it, sanctification, being set apart by God, God's progressive work of delivering you into Christ-likeness, to look like Jesus. So, the purpose of bearing fruit is Christ-likeness, as I just said. But what is the result of bearing fruit? Jesus says in John 15, verses 8 and 16, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So the, per- so the result of bearing fruit is the glory of God. That's the ultimate purpose in life, the glory of God as he is glorified in us as he's glorified in us in the manifestation of these fruits in our lives. And let me tell you, when you walk in the forest and you pass a fruit tree that has good fruit, nobody had to really put a sign on it and an advertisement on it to say, come take me. So how often do we get the narrative wrong when we're trying to advertise and put a display and put a show on of our so-called fruits? If it's really the fruit of God, we don't have to advertise too much about that. People will pick of it. People will eat of it. You'll walk into a room and people will enjoy your presence. And again, that's just a general statement, but do you get what I'm saying? Can I give it like a... All right, somebody, yeah. <laughs> so uh, he said, by this is your fa- my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So he wants our fruit to last, so that, in other words, with the result that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So, (laughs) I love it here. This is crazy. Jesus is literally saying, I want you to be able to ask whatever you want from Daddy. I want you to ask whatever you want from our Father. But your fruit needs to come forth and it needs to abide. In other words, how can I say it? The, what Jesus said in a parable, uh, one of the, the messages he gave in a parable in Luke 16, I believe, he says, the one who's faithful in a little is also faithful in much. And the one who's deceitful in a little is also deceitful in much. So God knows if you've been faithful with a little bit, He's willing to give you more and handle more to you, whether it's more, more gifts or more, um, tight, like more provision for you to go forward. God's not just answering every prayer that you ask whatever you want. No, it says 
that you should go forth. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that. So, so when your fruit abides, the result is that whatever you ask the Father, in my name, he may give it to you. The, the purpose, the reason that you even have fruit abiding, so you can ask God whatever you need because it's going to be in his will already. Do you get that? You're bearing these fruit that are lasting, that are remaining. And so what you ask isn't way led astray. It's going to uh, glorify God. So one of the aspects of bearing fruit we can get out is um, it's in our nature. It's in our very nature to bear fruit. That is why the first commandment in the, the, the Bible, I think that's very important, we should think about that, is, is in Genesis, right? Chapter 1. And, and, and the Lord says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Yet, we can't fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion until God has dominion of our hearts. And, and so, and, and, hmm, I don't want to say that. It's a, there's a now not yet principle in that because that sin has entered the world. We were called to rest, uh, bring order to creation. And because sin entered the world, now it's not about making a Christian kingdom on this earth without Jesus. No, he's coming back to bring his kingdom because there's so much rebellion. As we see, just turn on the news. Don't let that revolve around too much. That's why you're depressed a lot. Some of us. That's why I get depressed. If I, if I, I just know. I, I ask the Lord for a sensitive spirit. I continue to ask the Lord for a sensitive spirit. And so I'm very aware, like if I'm on social media and stuff like that, I'm starting to, I feel heavy, and I'm like, all right, Spirit, Spirit of God, you're telling me i got to walk away from this because this is revolving around that merry-go-round. I'm meditating on this news stuff, and it's, it's not from God. It's information. It's not revelation. God gives revelation. People give information. Revelation is for transformation, for renewal, for, for growth. Information, what does it do? You know, knowledge puffs up, gets you somewhere. <laughs> so, and this, uh, this theme of bearing fruit, though, repeats itself in uh, Luke chapter 3, where John says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance to the crowds who come out to him. And then he says, uh, I'm just jumping in here, he says, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. The axe is at the root of the problem. The axe is at the root of the problem. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 15, verse 13, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. It will be rooted up. And so, these, God, God wants to root up already in Christ the works of the flesh and restore us with a new nature. Restore us in his creation. Restore our hearts. Because we have a heart problem, as we already saw. It's out of the heart. And so, let us turn to one of our last passages that we'll look at today um, Luke chapter 8, verse 9 through 15. These are the four soil conditions of humanity. The four soil conditions of humanity. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. In other words, when you get close to God, when, your mouth, when you open your mouth wide so that he would fill it, right, back to that verse we first started with, you get, you get the secrets of God. God wants to reveal his secrets to humanity. He's already revealed them, quite frankly, in this book, 
and through his spirit giving the revelation of this book. Because if you don't have the spirit, this is like reading another language. You, you just won't understand it. You might have information, you won't have revelation. And so God is willing to give that revelation for us. But we've got to seek to get in. Notice, not everybody who was around Jesus got the understanding of this parable. I took it out for time's sake, but the earlier verses, he gives the riddle. He gives the parable, the figure of speech that people have to investigate because God wants to see an investment, right? We don't value things that we don't have to invest into. That's just the bottom line. You know, how many people, you could look at the statistics, for example, so many people uh, have won the lottery and within a matter of a year, they're back to square one wherever they were at, whether broke, middle class, whatever. Because why? You don't, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times you just don't value something that you had no investment in. And even though our uh, salvation is, in essence, a kajillion dollar lottery ticket, the understanding, the investment is, Jesus, you, you love me. You, you died for me. Your heart is after me. You are the author of life. You authored me. And you love me. If that's not worth it all for you, then I don't know what will be. Nothing else will satisfy you. That's why one of my favorite quotes, Augustine, he says, St. Augustine, he says, You have made us to know you, O God, and our hearts are not at rest until they find their rest in you. You have made us to know you, to find our rest in you. And so that's why we're so restless, and that's why we were made to bear fruit, and we'll, when we're not actually producing the fruit of the Spirit, we find ourselves just restless time and time again, and covering up that restlessness with distractions. So that's what we're going to get into in this parable. Verse 11. Now, the parable is this. <laughs> we're there. Sorry. The seed is the word of God. The ones, number one, along the path. That's one condition of humanity. That's those who aren't saved. That's those who won't receive the word of God. That's those along the path with a hardened heart. Along the path are those who have heard. They heard about Jesus. They heard the different words. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from where? Their hearts. God doesn't know where to plant. He planted it in their heart. But the enemy came and took it away. The only way the enemy can take it away is because he has authority in your life, because you have granted that, because you won't submit to Christ. He is Lord. And so then verse 13, and the one, number two, this is the second type of condition, soil condition, the, the, and the one on the rock, or the ones on the rock are those who when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. In time of testing, they fall away. And so, in many ways, that, that I believe, is where we begin. Number one, I believe, if, if you're following along the, the numbers, I don't know if the numbers are up there. No, but you'd have to circle these, right? The ones along the path, I would say that's number one. That's those who aren't saved. But then the, the remaining three parts of this parable, I would say, are the three forms of Christianity, if you want to call it that way. I believe, you know, there's one Christianity, right? There's one true Christianity, but that comes out in verse 15. <laughs> because in verse 13 and, and 14, we see the other two conditions for many Christians that many Christians are stuck in. They, I, I meditate on this passage often because I'm like, Lord, I don't want to be stuck here. I don't want to be the, the one built on the rock where if you read the parable earlier, he says that seed dies because it lacks moisture. It's in the rocks and it can't get down to the water. What's the water? The Word of God, Psalm 1. The one who's planted by streams of water is the one who meditates on the Word of God. And so, um, 
And, and the, the ones on the rock, right, they receive it with joy, then they fall away. Verse 14, and as for what fell, so number three, among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. I believe this is, I don't want to say majority, this is many in the Christian church. Many. I myself included, have to, I have to be cautious. As the, as the scriptures often tell us, stay awake, be ready, uh, be watchful. I'm, I'm watchful here. Am I among the thorns, Lord? That, that I hear your word and I'm bearing fruit. It doesn't say the ones among the thorns aren't bearing fruit. They have fruit. You have some fruit in the Holy Spirit. But you're lacking a lot of maturity in that. Why? Because these are those who hear but they're choked up by these thorns, these distractions. They're choked by the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life. We have meditate on that. What, what is the cares that I care about, Lord, that is not of your concern? This, a similar word uh, is used when Jesus speaks to Mary and Martha, and Martha's complaining that Jesus, he, she's not washing dishes with me. She's not cleaning up with me. And he says, Martha, she's chosen the greater portion. She's chosen the greater portion. She's sitting at my feet listening to my word. She's chosen the greater care, portion. The word for portion is the same word for care or similar word for care. And in the Greek, the word is, is literally, a, a, it comes from the root of division. So in other words, you're choked by not simply cares in your life. These are things that are dividing you from Christ. How many cares and concerns do we have? How many passengers on that merry-go-round are dividing us from the one passenger that matters? In the desire for pleasures of life. And the fruit doesn't mature. So th- I'm telling you, it, it, but as we enter into this season of Pentecost, as next week we speak on the gifts of the Spirit, <laughs> we have to think through repentance. We have to think through what it means to have my heart changed, God. What it means to confess my sins before you. And to, and to, to surrender what you already know and what you can handle. How do I give this to you, Lord? It's come openly. He said, the one who confesses their sins. The blood of Jesus will cover you. The blood of Jesus is powerful enough. The one drop of the blood of Jesus can wash away every sin. One precious drop of that blood. So as for that in the good soil, this is what God is after. After in your life. And he's, oh my God, he's willing to take the thorns that are around you if you would give them to him and he took them and put them as a crown around his head and stretched out his arms and said Father forgive them they don't know what they're doing they don't know the distractions they've been in they don't know the ramifications of what those have done in their life the works of the flesh and what those have brought in their life but here I am and I will take the thorns so that they can have a crown of glory. That is God's offer to you. As for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart. All the others heard the word except for the first. The one in the path, 
the one in the thorns, they heard the word, but they didn't hold it fast in an honest and good heart. This is the, about, what the heart of that honesty is about. Are you honest with yourself? We can't lie to God. Are we honest to ourselves? Right? Where are we at? What is our soil condition? And are we asking the Lord to come through with a plow, Lord? Come through with a plow. And I, I don't want to be like that person who you talked about, Lord, who you said, the one who puts his hand on the plow and looks back cannot be my disciple. I want to put my hand on the plow of my heart and allow your word to plow through and sow into me the newness of life so that I would bear forth fruit worthy of repentance and bear forth fruit with patience, long-suffering, willing to embrace and endure whatever you go through for Jesus. We've got to awaken our mind from just the here and now, just the American country. People are sacrificing their lives, Christians, day and night for the glory of God. People are being killed. People are being separated from their families because they won't let go of the name of Jesus, because they won't stop following after him. And we have to be careful in this nation where there's many cares and comforts that God gives, but they're not meant to be idols. You understand? So as we close, I want to invite you into prayer with me. I want to invite you into seeking God's presence Wherever you are, I want you to seek him in your heart. In your heart. And out of the heart flows the issues of life, Scripture says. If you're worried about what you have to offer to God, and it's only brokenness and sin, you're good. Because Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You have nothing spiritually to offer God. You are poor in spirit. You're broke. You're spiritually broke. You're spiritually broken. You need God to come in. So will you stand with me, church? And those who are listening, just surrender with us here now. As we close our eyes and as we Meditate on your word, Lord. Your scripture said, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his, his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. We've all reaped that corruption in various ways. Whether small corruption, I'm just depressed for a day, a couple days, I'm, I'm distracted, I'm anxious, I'm this, I'm that whether long time of suffering and groaning through that corruption because you lived in your flesh. But hear this, the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now you might be saying, I've never really sown into God. I've never really done that, so I'm just reaping the consequences of what I've sown. Let me tell you, here and now, the grace of God is for you to sow into your life. You have the opportunity even today to reap what he sowed, not what you sowed. You get to reap what Jesus Christ sowed on the cross. He forgave you. He paid the price for what you sowed. He paid the price. And so this is a call for repentance. Right now, I'm asking you to make 
peace with God, whether in your chairs, whether you want to bow down, whether you want to come to the altar, whether you want to say, see, it's about your heart. Where's your heart at? God's presence is here. Make peace with God. Because James says a harvest of righteousness. In other words, fruit of the Spirit. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Make peace with God. If you make peace with God, a harvest of righteousness is being sown for you right now. Righteousness is right relationship with the Father. A beautiful relationship with the Lord. And so for all those struggling with sin, you're, you're finding yourself in this camp with the church together. Lord, let, let, us, let us together say with them, repeat after me. Dear Lord, I am sorry for my sin. Dear Lord Jesus, you are the Lamb of God. You came to take away my sin. Your blood covers me. Your blood on the cross in the tree has paid the price for me. Lord, I give my sins to you. Help me. Restore me. Renew me. Sanctify me. Amen. And for those who are in this space and you're like, I, I, I don't really have... I'm not feeling like, you know, I've been walking with the Lord for some time. I've been sowing in the Spirit, and I'm reaping some good things, and I'm looking for a little bit more. I don't know. That's me. <laughs> like, I, I'm, in the, I'm in both camps, right? I'm like, I'm confessing my sin, but I'm at the same time, I'm like, I want more. And so for those of us who want more, there's this last scripture that says, the Lord is willing to shower upon you. Shower, O heavens, Isaiah 45. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. God, I thank you that you're raining down righteousness today, Lord, and you're filling open and thirsty hearts, God. And so as we enter into this time of worship, Lord, may we give you the fruit of lips that honor the name of Jesus, as Hebrews 13 says, but may our lips be connected with our hearts so that what we say is what we mean. That you, it's you, Jesus. It's all about you. My all in all comes from you. And so I give you thanks. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Church, if you will, May we honor the Lord together. May we close in worship with this last song. And let's praise God together. Amen.